Assalamu alaikum dear brothers and sisters and welcome to another episode of the Tafsir Treasures podcast. A podcast where we delve into the verses of the Quran to connect with the book of Allah, the greatest miracle of our beloved Prophet. I hope that you enjoy and benefit from the content inshallah and like always, please let us know about any feedback regarding this episode. Having said that, let's delve straight into the Tafsir inshallah. Then the Qur'an moved on to the group that receives their book of deeds in their left hand. He says, He says, I wish I would never have received my book of deeds. I wish I would have never known what I've done. He looks at his, at his book of deeds. It's so terrible. It's so horrific. Then he says, you know what? I wish I would never even know what's taking place in my book of deeds. Yes, when you mess up a situation so badly, you know, sometimes it happens. You've done something so terrible, you don't even want to go back and take a look at what you have done. You're so embarrassed and you know that you had opportunity after opportunity, but you did not capitalize on those opportunities. And now you've messed up this situation, right? You've had major shortcomings. Sometimes the situation is so bad, you don't even want to go back. You don't even want someone to walk you through your mistakes. Yes, this is what this person is saying. I wish I didn't even know what's in my book of deeds. I wish the first time they took my life was the end of everything. I wish I was never resurrected again to have to go through these stages of the hereafter. My wealth didn't do any good for me. My influence, my power, <clears throat> my authority... These things didn't do any good for me either. They all, they're all gone now. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells the angels, Grab him, take him, and tie him up. And then have him move towards hellfire. And then chain him again with a chain that is sab'una dhira'an, the, 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 you know, the length of this chain is sab'una dhira'a. Dhara is a unit of measurement that they used to use during the time of the Prophet. It goes from your elbow toe to the tip of the fingers. And of course, for different people, it would be different. But overall, it was a unit of measurement that was easy to use at that time. Many of our ahadith, when they want to explain, for example, what the measurement of this thing is or the measurement of that thing is, they will use the word dhira' or dhara'a. Yes, that's the unit of measurement that they would use. He says, this chain is sab'una dhira'an. It is 70 of these units of measurement. And we know that in Arabic, some numbers, when they are used, it's not the number in particular that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is referring to. It is just trying to say that it's a very high number. You know, when you say there were a thousand people there, you don't mean there's actually a thousand people there. You mean it's just like so many people I could barely count. That's what you really mean. Yes? So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Sab'una dhira'an, 70, doesn't literally mean 70. It means that this chain is a very long chain. Hadith tells us that if a little bit of this chain were to come into this world, if a drop of it were to drop into this world, 
that the water on earth would start to boil, that the creatures on this earth will not be able to take it. These are some scary you know, passages that we come across. The Quran speaks of heaven and speaks eloquently of heaven. It also speaks very clearly of hellfire. And you might say, well, why, why does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speak in this, in this scary manner? Well, He's told you about the heaven already. But for some of us, brothers and sisters, the only thing that will get us moving are the scary parts. That's the problem. We shouldn't be pointing our finger at Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying, why would you speak of these scary things? The question we should be asking is pointing the question, the finger at ourselves and saying, why am I like this? That I won't change things unless they tell me about the scary passages. It's a different perspective. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala looks at us he sees a group of people, some of them, if he tells them what to do, they'll take his word, they'll act upon it. Some of them, no matter what he does, they won't move. And because he wants the best for you and me, yes, he will speak about the scary consequences of the one who sins. So if we read the Quran having these scary passages, it's not a shortcoming from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's a shortcoming from us that he feels the necessity to speak of these things. He feels a necessity to remind you and I of these things. And sometimes you come across people, brothers and sisters, sometimes you come across individuals. Really what this person is doing is so cruel. There is nothing else in this world that will bring this person back to reality unless Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about these scary passages. Unless he talks frankly about the consequences of the sins that this person is committing. Sometimes you come across people, they will, you know, the haqqun nas, the rights of others that they are ruining, the rights of others that they are violating, is just so much. And this person, he lives his life as if nothing is happening. This is what these scary passages of the Quran are for. To bring this person, to, to shake this person, to have this person wake up a little bit. Otherwise, how is this person, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has already tried all the other methods. He's already tried telling him of the rewards of heaven and how great it would be if this person would not take away haqqun nas of others and he wouldn't do this and he wouldn't do it. This is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses threats in the verses of the Quran and in hadith. Yes? There's a simple way of saying things that if you do this, this is what I want from you. A human being who understands Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the creator, he is the mun'im, he is the one who gives blessings, he'll take what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has to say. That's how things should usually work. But then some of us are so stubborn, some of us are so arrogant, that we won't move, we won't change, unless we hear passages like this. This is not a lack of, a, you know, a shortcoming from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is a shortcoming from us. That nothing else will move us unless I hear these scary passages of the verses of the Qur'an. And this is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks of these. So that the human being can understand and start to change things. Otherwise, you come across some people, they are so cruel. The type of deeds that they do is so horrible. And no matter what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells them, this person is not going to change. He's so stubborn. What's left? The only thing that's left is to tell him of the consequences of his deeds. Yes? And this is where you see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is sensitive. He, is, he takes certain things very seriously. I mentioned this hadith before. When it comes to haqqun nas, when it comes to the respect and honor of another believer, for example, the tone that's used in hadith is very harsh. It's not a friendly, 
please don't do this type of thing. It's very harsh that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, according to one of the hadith, the Prophet was in Mi'raj, in this ascension. He asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he said, Ya Rabbi, ma halul mu'mini indak? What's the status of a believer in your eyes? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala responded to him. He said, the status of a believer in my eyes is so high that if anyone were to knowingly disrespect a close friend of mine, فَقَدْ بَارَزَنِي بِالْمُحَارَبَةِ He is challenging me to war. These are the threats of Qur'an and hadith. Why? Because there are those who do these things and then they act as if nothing has happened. Super cool and chill. As if nothing has happened. This is why the Qur'an talks about these passages, yes? So it might seem scary to some of us know that this Qur'an is dealing with people with all sorts of backgrounds, all sorts of different individuals and characters, yes? If the good parts take care of you changing and becoming a better person, then wonderful. You don't have to worry about the scary parts. But if I'm a person who has shortcomings and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala keeps telling me what He wants from me, and this isn't going to change me, then the scary parts are the parts that are supposed to shake me and are supposed to get me to change. This is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks of these things. Not that He wants to. This is the reality of the human being. Sometimes nothing else will move the human being. Okay, he continues. This is where we left off. This person who is in this type of a position, what did he do? How did he end up in this position? This is what the Quran is going to tell us now. Number one, This guy, his situation was that he would never believe in the message of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we mentioned this last week that the Quran says, This kana in Arabic grammar, when you add kana before yu'minu, which is the verb in the sentence, what it implies and what it's referring to is continuous, doing something continuously. Means that this message was delivered to him over and over again. It's not that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him one chance. No, even multiple chances. And still he turned away from it every single time. That's the first thing that he did. Okay, what's number two? And he would never encourage for others to give to feed the poor. Now there are different interpretations of this verse. This one that I'm going with is one of the interpretations. But it seems as though what the Quran is saying is this. Because the Qur'an is not talking about actually feeding the poor, right? He says he did not encourage for others to feed the poor. What does this mean? Sometimes you will find yourself in a situation where you have the ability, you have the capability to feed the poor. Does Qur'an and Hadith expect you to do that? Of course. And we have certain duties certain obligatory duties within Islam that you are, it is obligatory for you to take steps when there are poor and people who are needy. You have khums, you have zakat, you have kafara, for example, that you have to pay, and so on and so forth. Or you have individuals that you are responsible to provide for them. And then you have mustahab or recommended times where you are to give from your wealth. Yes? Sometimes you yourself have the capability to feed the poor, Quran and Hadith says we're expecting this of you. Sometimes you may not have that wealth. You may not have that direct ability to feed the poor. But what you can do instead 
is maybe not feed the poor directly, but you can encourage others to do that. You might be in a situation where you're not able to make this big donation, for example. You're not able to give more than you already have. But you know a brother, you know a sister who is passionate about a cause like this or who should be passionate about a cause like this. And you go to them and you encourage them. Yes? Sometimes we're able to take care of the needs that people come to us with. Sometimes we're not able to take care of those needs. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala still, still accept, expects something from us in those situations. Sometimes you can't do anything directly, but indirectly there's a role for you to play. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants you to play that indirect role. Yes? And sometimes, hadith tells us, that if you're not able to take care of the need of a person directly, just by doing certain things, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will still reward you. The hadith says that when a mu'min, a need is presented to him, something is presented to him, someone needs something from him, he's not able to fulfill this need for whatever reason. Maybe his time doesn't allow, his wealth doesn't allow, whatever the case may be, right? He doesn't have the resources. But deep down, he wishes that he was able to fulfill this need. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَيُدْخِلُ اللَّهُ بِهَمِّهِ الْجَنَّةِ He rewards him because deep down he wished he would be able to fulfill this need. We say, what is this? This is just a wish. No, this is not a wish. The next time this person has the ability to help, then he will help. When he is concerned with the needs of his brothers and sisters, Right now, he may not have the resources. Ten years from now, he might have the resources. And if this person is a person who has been living with this concern, hopefully when he comes across the resources, then he can actually help out for these needs and these concerns. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala looks in his heart. If he has even the concern of helping, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala rewards him. So just wishing at the very least, Ya Allah, I wish I could help. That's one thing to keep in mind. Number two, the Prophet told his family, Ya Bani Hashim, according to one narration, said, Ya Bani Hashim, innakum lan nas bi'amwalikum. You will never be able to take care of all of the needs of human beings with, your, with just your wealth. You won't be able to, you know, you're not a bank. You don't have everything to give out to everybody. Okay. So if you can't fulfill the financial needs of individuals who come to you, at least... فَلْقُوهُمْ بِطَلَاقَةِ الْوَاجِهِ وَحُسْنِ At the very least, when they come to you, meet them with smiling faces and good akhlaq. You can't, you may not be able to fulfill the request of this person, but maybe you can sit there and hear their pain. Maybe you can sit there and hear their concern. Maybe they can tell you of their pain, and you can really be an ear for them. You can listen. You can sympathize with them. That you might be able to do. If you're going to say, no, I can't take care of this need of yours, how are you going to do it? Are you going to do it with good akhlaq so that when this person walks away, at least they feel better deep inside. At least they feel like you cared. Or are you going to sit there and say, listen, I can't help you. Please uh, move on. Which one is it going to be? The Prophet says, you won't be able to take care of all of the needs of people with your wealth. Then at the very least, when you're going to meet them, meet them with a smile, meet them with the proper akhlaq, 
Sometimes you may not have the wealth to give to this person or that person, but indirectly there are things that you can do. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala expects you to do those things indirectly if it's in your power, if it's under your authority. Sometimes this person comes, you may not be able to help them out, but maybe you can put in a good word for them with a friend who can help them out. Maybe you can share their message so that others can find out about this situation that they're going through. Maybe you can just sit with them and hear what they're going through. These are all different ways to, to help with the difficulty that someone is going through, yes? How many times have we been in these situations ourselves that when we're going through a difficult situation, if we just had one person to really sit down and listen, and understand what I'm going through. Yes? How much would that help you? How much would that lighten up your day? These are the things Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala expects from us. Because the wealth, I may not have it, but these things, I can have. The good akhlaq, you know, good akhlaq is free. In case, in case we didn't know, good akhlaq is free. It takes a lot of work, but it's free at the end of the day. Yes? Good manners, free. It says, if you can't help with your wealth, then you can help with your smile. You can help with sitting and listening to what this person has to do. It has to say, our ulama, our scholars were like this, brothers and sisters. It's not like they were walking around and they had banks with them. Anyone who would come, they would be able to help. No, some they could help. Many others, they would just sit and listen to the difficulty that this person is going through. Yes? Sometimes they would look at their role. What, what are the other things that they can do? This applies to all of us. Of course, the story I'm going to share right now is from the life of a, of a great scholar of ours. But apply this to your own life. What are the different situations that are presented to you where you may not be able to help directly, but indirectly there are things that you can do. You may not be able to lead a certain cause, but there might be other things you can do on the side to support this cause. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is looking at you, your skills, your capabilities, your resources, even if they not, may not be in the form of wealth. Maybe it's in the form of influence at times. I'll share this story with you. Imam Musa Sadr, who you know, we know he used to live in, in, in Lebanon, and then of course he was uh, you know, kidnapped, and of course up until today we don't know where he is. And if you don't know much about him, you know, please Google him and you'll, you'll learn more about him. Imam Musa Sadr. This is different from Shahid Sadr of Iraq, right? This was, he, he was from Lebanon. <clears throat> Imam Musa Sadr, who was an alim in Lebanon, has played a key role in, in, in the communities there. They say that you know, he was living, and of course Lebanon, as we all know, has, you know, has a Shia population, a Muslim population, a Shia population, and of course a very large Christian population as well, and you know, they live together. And he was, you know, amongst the different places that he would go, he would travel to the city of Sur, it's a famous city in Lebanon, and you know, he would, uh, it was part of that community. And in that community, you had Muslims, some of them Shia, and of course you had Christians as well. Pay attention to what Imam Musa Sadr did with just his influence. This man didn't have some crazy wealth for example, he had very limited resources, of course. One day, he says, of course, he never shares this, but, you know, the, the, this person shares this. This Christian man shares this about Imam Musa Sadr, right? And, the, and the, you know, the interview with this person is still there. He says, I was a person, I had a shop. I used to sell ice cream, ice cream shop, you know, and... I was, you know, I started my business. It was difficult for me to get my business up and running. But finally, I did it. 
And of course, there was another person, and he was Muslim. And he also had an ice cream shop. And because I was doing a better job at things, naturally, I was attracting more customers my way. And this Muslim man, who was also an owner of an ice cream shop, he didn't like what was happening. He didn't like the idea that I am here and I'm making money like this. And so he started to start some rumors that, yes, you know, you the, going to this Christian man, we don't even know, you know, what his wealth is like. We don't know. Maybe his food is najis. Yes. Maybe the ice cream is something you're not even allowed to eat. Yes. Started these rumors. And these rumors started to spread. And when these rumors started to spread, I found myself, the Christian man says, and he says, I found myself in a situation where my ice cream shop is now, you know, the business is being hurt. Why? Because this person doesn't like what I'm doing. He says, I didn't know what to do. All I could do is I came to Imam Musa Sadr. I said, you know, I'm in this position. And I've heard that, you know, in Islam, justice has a lot of importance and whatnot. But, you know, you help me with the situation. I don't know what to do in a situation like this. And he says, Imam Musa Sadr told him one thing. He said, don't worry about it. He said, go back to your shop, do your business. Then what did he do? After one of the Friday prayers, as you know, Friday prayers, you know, normally, especially in Muslim, you know, majority countries or in Muslim communities, you will find after Friday prayers, one of the most, the busiest times. Yes, different people from different backgrounds, they all come together. It's Friday prayer, it's Jummah prayer at the end of the day and whatnot. He says, after one of the Friday prayers, when he left the masjid, he came directly into my ice cream shop. And Imam Musa Sadr was not your typical person. He was an alim and he was a very well-known alim as well. He says he came into my ice cream shop. He ordered some ice cream. And he sat by the door and he started to eat ice cream from my shop. And people walking by the store, they all thought to themselves, if Imam Musa Sadr is going to eat from this ice cream, then of course that means there's nothing wrong with it. You know, we're, we should be completely fine to eat from this. And this Christian man says, because of what he did, I was able to continue with my business. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been able to because all the rumors had spread. What is he doing in this situation? What is this great alim doing in this situation? Is he going there and, you know, putting down thousands of dollars or pounds or whatever you want to think about it? No. He may not have the wealth, but he has the influence. And he's going to use his influence. Now, this is an alim, but how do we apply that to our own lives? What are the things, the needs that we find in our own communities, in our community as a Shia community, in the broader Muslim community, even when it comes to non-Muslims maybe, what are those capabilities that you and I have, those resources that you and I have, that we may not be able to directly give money, for example, but you can play roles here and there. Yes, we have to think about this. This is one of the most noble things to do. Let me think, how can I be resourceful in the, in the first level, at the first level for my own community and at, you know, even beyond that. What can I do? I may not be walking, you know, I may not have, you know, the, the treasures of Qarun, yes? But we all have things that we can offer. Sometimes just my time. Sometimes just my presence. Maybe I take part in a, in a, in a program. And because of my presence, I'm able to do things. This is very important to think about. So the verse says, the problem with these guys was not that they weren't freed, they also would not even do anything else or anybody else to do that either. 
They wouldn't try to help others either or encourage others so that they would help for this cause. Moving on. Now the Quran says, because these people were like this, that number one, they would not help anybody else. Number two, they wouldn't provide fruit for anybody else. They are also going to be punished in the same way. There is a correlation between the sins that they were committing and the punishment on the Day of Judgment. What they didn't do was that they didn't care for anybody else. Therefore, today, they will not have anyone to care for them. Today, he's not going to have any close friends. Why? He's not going to have anyone to care for him. Why? Because when there were others that he was supposed to care for, he didn't care for them. This is why we read in the hadith of the Prophet that the Prophet, he kissed his children. Yes, he would kiss his grandchildren. He would, and then this man, this Arab man at that time, he saw the Prophet, he said, you know, I have daughters at home. I've never kissed them. What did the Prophet respond to him? He said, man la yarham, la yurham. He says, if you're not merciful towards others, then the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not going to come your way either. There is a direct correlation between what this person was doing in this world and the repercussions that he's going to have to deal with in the next world. You don't care for anybody, in that world there's going to be nobody to care for you either. Hamim, meaning a close friend, a friend who can worry about you, who's concerned about you. There is no one to worry about him, there is no one to care about him, there is no one to do shafa'a for him. Why? Because he didn't care about anybody in this world. That's number one. Number two, then the verses of the Quran continue. فَلَيْسَ لَهُ الْيَوْمَ هَاهُنَا حَمِيمٌ وَلَا طَعَامٌ And he has nothing to consume إِلَّا مِنْ غِسْلِينَ He has nothing to consume or to drink إِلَّا مِنْ غِسْلِينَ Except for polluted water. Yes? And there's details as to what this, how this water is polluted. I don't want to go into all those details. But all we know is that the Quran speaks of this water that is polluted. You didn't give food to others, well, you're not going to have anything proper to eat either. There's a direct correlation between what these people used to do and their punishment on the Day of Judgment. Only the wrongdoers, they end up drinking from this ghislin, from this polluted water. Yes? And the Quran says, in other verses of the Quran, we read that what these people consume, it is from, you know, there are pieces of flesh and other things in this water. It's a very horrific scene. But this is because this is how this person was doing things in this world. Because he made people go hungry in this world. That's why he's in this position now. We might look at it and we might say, oh, this is too much. Too much punishment for him. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is just if a person ends up in this situation, know for sure that this person did something terrible. That's why he's ending up in this position. In this world, many times, a person might do something terrible. But the result of it, the way people treat him, seems to be just fine. So apparently nobody cares. A lot of times you'll have politicians, they'll, have, you know, they'll suit up and they'll look very nice. They'll do terrible things. But because people don't know about it, because people are naive about it, they look at this person and say, no, this person is, you know, they're fine. Yes? But the reality is when it comes to the next world, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala looks at the reality of a person, the reality of their deeds. There is justice there. 
He doesn't do injustice to anybody. So if you ever come across a punishment in the verses of the Quran that is heavy, know that what this person was doing in this world was heavy as well. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He doesn't gain anything out of doing injustice upon anybody. Only those major wrongdoers, only the ones who would continuously do wrong and no repenting. When a person repents, they forgive what you've done before. No, this person was so arrogant, he would do wrong and he would not even repent either. Yes, that doesn't apply to, you know, almost, you know, 100% of us. So you can imagine what type of person this person is. He's not your typical good person who had shortcomings at times. No. Those who were constantly like this. And they never repented from their deeds. That's why the Quran is speaking of a, such a severe punishment for this person. Then the Quran continues. And it's going to switch themes now. فَلَا أُقْسِمُ بِمَا تُبْصِرُونَ وَمَا لَا تُبْصِرُونَ إِنَّهُ لَقَوْلُ رَسُولٍ كَرِيمٍ all of which that we told you, know that this is not fiction. These are all realities that we are trying to describe for you. This Quran is not a made-up book. It is a message from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But in order to get this point across, the Quran says, فَلَا أُقْسِمُ بِمَا تُبْصِرُونَ وَمَا لَا تُبْصِرُونَ We swear by those things that you can see, which is everything that we see around us, and those things that you cannot see. Because, brothers and sisters, there are many things that we cannot see that might be out there. There are a lot of creatures out there that might exist. We may not even know about them. If, we were, if someone were to ask us and say, what type of creatures are there? We can count three or four. We can say, well, there's human beings. Yes, there are plants and animals and objects. There's uh, angels and jinn. Well, that's, that's pretty much what we can count. Yes? What else is there in the world? That's pretty much it. But we don't know what else is out there. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in multiple verses of the Quran, He tells us, there are all these things we have created, you have no idea. We think the world is just what we see around us. No, this is just our little window. And let me take it a step further than that. Even in this little window, the things that we can only see with our material eyes, just that, even that we don't know everything that exists. The oceans of earth, you know, we're making our way into Mars and you know, all that kind of stuff. Yes, SpaceX and whatnot. We're trying to get ourselves to Mars. The oceans of the earth that we live on, some of them, we have not even made it to the bottom of them yet. Think about that for a second. Many of these oceans have not even been explored as much as space has been explored. Explored. Beyond that, what are the realities that exist out there in this world? Just the material world. I'm not even talking about the immaterial world. The answer is we don't even know. We don't know. What happens in a dark, you know, in a, in, in a, in a you know, these, um, these uh, uh, dark holes that we have running around. I forgot what they're called right now. Yes? Where it's so dark, whatever light you shed in there, it's just, it just dissolves. You don't even know what's happening in there. The reality is we don't know. And this is one of the, you know, one of the issues and one of the problems that is raised with this uh, theory of evolution. 
Because if evolution is going to explain how things developed, you have to be able to explore everything first and then come up with a theory that explains how everything came to be. But if you don't even know what's out there, and the reality is we don't even know what's out there, how can you come up with a theory that explains things that you haven't even studied yet? You're talking about this is how creatures go from being simple to complicated. But what about all those creatures you've never even studied? How can you give a theory that explains something that you have never even touched? You've never even seen it. There are galaxies out there that we haven't even seen. We haven't even touched. Yes? How can we explain how they came to be if we've never even studied them? That's a more philosophical issue, of course. But you think about this world that we live in. It's a very vast world. And then put that into context, the problems that we have. This huge, vast world, and then I'm, you know, as a human being, I'm so worried about, you know, the, the traffic that I'm stuck in, for example, or what this person said, or what that person said. And it, whereas I'm looking at this, this universe, how vast it is. This is the insignificance of the human being from a physical perspective, not a spiritual perspective. From a physical perspective, we are very insignificant. The Quran is telling us, listen, what you guys observe, that's part of what we've created. Then there are all these other creatures and so many other things that you don't even know about. You have no idea what's going on in this world. Quran and Hadith tries to give us a little bit of a window into that world. So Quran will tell us about like angels for example. Quran will tell us about jinn. What else is out there? We don't know. The reality is that there could be thousands of other creatures out there that we have no idea what they're like. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala might feel like it's not even necessary for us to know. But what is necessary for us to know is that our knowledge is so limited. What we know of this world is so limited. The Quran says, We swear by those things that you can see, which is everything around us. And all the things that you cannot see, This Quran that is coming to you, it's not the words of a magician. It's not the words that were just made up. It's coming from an honorable messenger. Regardless of whether this messenger is referring to the angel who is bringing these words. Yes, is bringing these words to the prophet. Or the messenger is the prophet himself who is bringing these words to the ummah. Regardless, it's something that's coming from somewhere else. It's a divine message. You keep saying, Muhammad, he does poetry. No, Muhammad doesn't do poetry. His Quran is as beautiful as poetry, but it's not poetry. And it's also not the words of a magician or someone who can foretell the future. Yes, someone who does some things to be able to figure out what's happening in the future. It's not the words of this person while it tells you at times what's going to happen in the future. It has these functions, but it's not the work of a human being. Yes? Very beautifully the Qur'an is saying, It's as beautiful as poetry, but it's not the work of a poet. It will tell you what happens in the future, but it's not the work of a human being who tries to predict what is going to happen in the future. So what is this? These, this is a message that has been sent down from the nurturer of everything that lives in this world. The nurturer of the inhabitants of this world. 
is words that are coming from a different place. And if you take a look at this tone that the Qur'an is speaking from, that these words are not the words of a human being. These words, they are divine. These words are the coming from the one who created you. There is no other book on the face of earth that makes this claim in a reliable manner. No other book on the face of earth, even other holy books, they don't make this claim. That the words you are reading are the words of the creators of the heavens and earth. No, other holy books, they will say this is a message that's inspired by God. Yes, but no other book on earth will you ever find outside of the Quran that says these are the words of God. The one who created you, the one who's running this whole show is speaking to you now. This is what makes the Quran special. And of course, the Quran has to be able to back it up, right? Just making that claim is easy. It's what being able to back it up. This is where the style of the Quran comes into play. And for those who are familiar with Arabic, you know the style of the Quran is unlike any other text you will ever come across. Because it's organized, but then it goes from one topic to another topic, from one theme to another theme, without making it confusing. At the same time, it doesn't contradict itself. At the same time, it's cohesive from the beginning to the end. This is not the work of a human being. Try writing a manual or a book over 23 years of your life. I promise you the first chapter and the last chapter, it will look like there's 23 years of difference between the two. But look at the first verses of the Qur'an that were revealed upon the Prophet in Surah Al-Alaq. And then look at those final verses and surahs of the Qur'an that were revealed upon the Prophet. Amongst them, Surah Al-Ma'idah. Do you see a difference? Do you see a lack of cohesiveness in these verses of the Qur'an? No. It's not poetry, but it's as beautiful as poetry. It tells you some of the things that will happen in the future, but it's not the work of a human being who foretells the future. This is what the Qur'an says, what the Qur'an is. It is a, has its own style. And for those who are familiar with Arabic and Arabic literature, you understand what I'm saying. Because the Qur'an is not like your textbook that starts from here and says, okay, number one, points number one, there is one God and this God is like this. It's not like that. The content is mixed in with this beautiful literature. And the literature also does not start from A to Z. Any human being can do that as well. It's mixed up and it's merged into these verses that you have to go back and start to unlock with contemplation. And at the same time, as it's mixed up and the qiyamah pops up here and you know your rights as a husband or wife pops up here and haqqun nas pops up here and different top topics pop up different places, as much as it seems as it's unorganized, but at the same time it's organized and at the same time it doesn't contradict itself. Which other book is there out there in the world that's like this? There is no other book that you will come across. Yes, many times we lump up the Qur'an with holy books. We say, yes, the Qur'an is a holy book like the other holy books. That's injustice that we're doing to the Qur'an. Yes, a non-Muslim might say that. It's not their fault. They don't believe in the Qur'an in the way that we do. But as a Muslim, from our perspective, the Qur'an is not just another holy book. No, there's a world of difference between the Qur'an and these other books that we refer to and we call them holy books because they are attributed to different religions. So the Qur'an is making it clear here. I swear that these words that you hear, they are لَقَوْلَ رَسُولٍ كَرِيمٍ وَمَا هُوَ بِقَوْلِ شَاعِرٍ You keep saying the Prophet is a poet. He's not a poet. وَلَا بِقَوْلِ كَاهِنٍ And he's also not crazy. He's not majnoon. He's not possessed. 
He's none of these things. This is a divine message that's coming to you. Find another book that makes a claim like that. Find another book that tells you these words are coming from the creator of the universe. Not a message from God. There's a lot of people who claim that there's a message from God. But a message that's sent down and in the message it says these words that I'm sharing with you, this book that you have in front of you is the words of the one who created you. This is the Qur'an that makes that claim. This is what makes the Qur'an special. Inshallah, we'll leave it here. We'll end here. There's more to be said about the different creatures that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created. The different types of angels that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created. Sometimes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will point out some of these, either in verses of the Qur'an or in hadith they come up of the different creatures that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created. Inshallah, we'll leave that for the following week. Thank you, dear brothers and sisters, for tuning into another episode of the Tafsir Treasures podcast. I hope that this episode was another step for all of us to coming closer to having a deeper understanding of the Quran and the message of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you would like to stay updated on the courses, the presentations, or the other podcasts that Mizan Institute is offering, you can always follow us on the major social media platforms on Facebook, on Instagram, or Twitter. Or you can always refer to Mizan Institute's website, which is mizaninstitute.org. Finally, if there is any feedback, feel free to leave a review for the podcast, or you can always message us directly on any of these platforms so that we can benefit from your feedback for future projects, inshallah. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.